So I'm reading from Colossians 1, 7b. Epaphras is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's welcome our team. One of the greatest fringe benefits of being a Christian is the privilege of prayer. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say what needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be simple, clear. May this be a life-changing word. And a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I want us to look at this part of Colossians and see the privilege of prayer. And may I remind you that these people that Paul is addressing, they are not his converts. Now, when it came to the Corinthians, they were Paul's converts. The Ephesians, they were Paul's converts. Galatians, they were Paul's. Thessalonians, they were Paul's. But Colossians... A person by the name of Epaphras was the man who led them to the Lord. And a church is founded there. And Paul is going to talk now saying how he has not stopped praying for these Colossians. Have you ever thought about the privilege of knowing you are prayed for? Now, as I say, one of the greatest Fringe benefits of being a Christian is the privilege of prayer. But we must never forget the main benefit. It crossed my mind to say, I wonder if you were given a sheet of paper as you came in and you were to fill out why a person should be a Christian, what would you write down? But ask yourself right now, if someone put you on the spot and said, why should your neighbor, your relative, your friend, the person you work for, be a Christian. And never forget the main benefit is that you go to heaven because the death of Jesus satisfied God's justice and wrath on the cross. The blood pacified God. The earliest and first message of the New Testament Matthew chapter 3, 
flee from the wrath to come. And that is why Jesus died on the cross. Uh, Close to assurance of heaven is knowing God. Jesus prayed, John 17, verse 3, for his disciples, for all of us, that we might know him, know the God of the Bible. Uh, God wants us to know two things, his word and his ways. Now, there are other fringe benefits. For example, the fact that God guides your life. Uh, In all your ways, acknowledge him, that's prayer, and he will direct your paths, that is guidance. Uh, It's wonderful to know that he supplies our need. According to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, God promised to supply our needs. He heals the body. Uh, God listens to you as though there were no one else praying. And prayer puts us in immediate contact with the supreme power of the universe. It's when you're talking to God and asking Him for things. You're asking God to act. When we get to heaven, there will be no praying in heaven. Nobody will need prayer. There'll be no soul winning in heaven. Everybody will be saved. There'll be no tithing in heaven. For some, there'll be no tithing on earth either. (laughs) But there'll be no praying in heaven. And God will listen to you as though there were no one else. But there's one interesting thing going on in heaven now. Not sure how it's carried out. But Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, talks about the prayers of the saints uh, as if they are kept in a a vial and at a right time to be poured out. God does not forget any prayer. And they are, you could say, bottled up in heaven. Someone said to me this week that he thinks no generation has had prayer like London has had in our day. What happens to all those prayers? I believe a few years ago, Pastor Colin believed that God gave him a vision. There's going to be mercy on London. Are you aware that there's been revival in England, Newcastle in Wesley's day, Bristol, Wesley's day, uh, Cornwall in Wesley's day, but it didn't come to London. And it's long overdue. I've felt for a long time, I don't remember if I've said this publicly, I might have. I've said it privately. I believe the next great move of God will start in England. And it wouldn't surprise me. It makes sense for it to start in London. And we long for this day. And if my friend John Paul Jackson got it right, he says... The key to the next move of God on the earth, next great move, is the book of Romans, and especially Romans chapter 4. I said, John Paul, do you realize what that's saying? That means, just as in Luther's day, the gospel was rediscovered. Jonathan Edwards, preaching that led to the Great Awakening for five years, preached nothing but justification by faith alone. It was John Wesley who taught Whitfield the teaching of justification by faith alone. What that means is that once 
We put all of our eggs into one basket. The blood of Jesus. Not your works. Not trying to impress God with how good you are, how many good things you've done, but recognizing only the blood of Jesus. When you transfer the trust that you had in your good works to what Jesus did for you on the cross, righteousness is put to your credit. And that's called the gift of salvation, forgiveness of all our sins. That is the main benefit. But now Paul talks to these Colossians and he says that he's been praying for them ever since he heard of them. And he heard of them through Epaphras who told Paul these things. And I think, if I understand the way Paul is wording this, one of the things that impressed Paul the most is that Epaphras, he says, made known to us your love in the Spirit. What an interesting phrase. As far as I know, that's nowhere else. As we saw last time, it partly means non-sexual love. It's the way Mary Magdalene felt when she was loved by Jesus. He was the first person to show any respect for her. Love in the Spirit. The Greek could really read, and better translated, love by the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit enables us to love people that are unlovable. Enables you to forgive those who have been so hurtful. It enables you to pray for those who don't deserve prayer. We all know that Jesus said, pray for your enemies. I think our tendency is to say, Heavenly Father, I just commit them to you because you're hoping God will kill them. <laughs> that is not what Jesus had in mind. We are to bless your enemy. And you actually pray that God will bless that person who's been so hurtful. Bless that person who has made up stories about you. Bless the person who would do evil. You say, well, how can you do it? The answer is, it's love by the Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Remember this. The moment you transfer your trust to what Jesus did for you on the cross, you are given the Holy Spirit. And because you have the Holy Spirit, you can do things that people that aren't saved could never do. Imagine praying for your enemy. Praying for your enemy. Are you ready to pray this, that they don't get caught for what they did? That you ask God to bless them? You say, well, I could never do that. Apply the golden rule when you pray. Wouldn't you like people to pray for you? that God will overlook things that you have done wrong? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, what I want us to see is two things tonight. The first is the inestimable privilege of being prayed for. Now, Paul started praying for these people. I don't know how much they appreciated that, but these are people who impressed Epaphras, who told it to Paul, they're love by the Spirit. Some Christians grow faster than others. And sadly, some Christians 
even though they're truly converted, never reach the place that they pray for their enemies and sincerely pray that God will bless them. I'll tell you something. If you reach the place that you will pray that, it'll, it's hard at first, but when you realize what it's doing, it becomes a very selfish thing to bless your enemies because you're the one that gets the greatest benefit from it. Well, these people began to experience the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps you love the unlovable, forgive the deepest hurt, and you develop a relationship. And remember this. I wonder if you thought of it. They didn't have a Bible. Do you realize in the early church, the earliest church, they didn't have the Bible, be the Old Testament, but these were Gentiles. Chances are they never heard of the Old Testament. And the nearest thing they would have to Scripture is this actual letter that Paul is writing to them. It becomes Scripture. And Ephesus was probably only 20 miles away. They probably got that letter because Paul wants them to exchange letters with each other. That's the nearest to Scripture that they had. And you wonder, how did they grow? Well, they learned to love by the Spirit. Now imagine this, being prayed for by the Apostle Paul. I don't know, as I said, whether they appreciated that. But one of the greatest things you can do for another person is to pray for them. And one of the best feelings in the world is to know there's somebody praying for you. I wonder if I could see a show of hands that you are aware that there are people who pray for you. Anybody here like that? You're aware of that. It's the most wonderful thing in the world. The whole time, nearly, that I was at Westminster Chapel for the better part of 25 years, there was one person there who committed on his own to pray for me an hour a day. Imagine that, having one person. He did it for nearly 25 years. Then the last week I was there, I called him in, and I said, you've done your job, you've gone beyond the call of duty, I release you. You can stop. Now pray for your new minister. And the thought of being prayed for, I used to have people say, I pray for you. Uh, I remember somebody in Glasgow said, I pray for you every day. I never met them. I, I lost, I think, much of all that when we moved back to America. We still have some that pray for us. I once invited Joseph Tsung to preach at Westminster Chapel, and he told how he found out that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones prayed for Joseph Tsung every night before he went to bed. During those years when Joseph Tsung was in Romania, when we used to talk about being behind the Iron Curtain, and Joseph was overwhelmed to think of that. And when I find somebody praying for me, now there may be somebody here tonight, you say, well, I don't know of anybody that prays for me. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Is anybody here that you don't know that anybody prays for you? Uh, but I can uh, tell you something you may not know. I know of two persons that pray for you. Persons of the Godhead. God the Son, 
Jesus Christ interceding for you at the right hand of God, and second, the person of the Holy Spirit, according to Paul, when you don't know what to pray for, you just groan, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and you groan, uttering things that you don't understand. The Holy Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. So let no one say, nobody prays for you. Uh, there is one. Here's the thing. You may think that it's more efficacious if you have the Apostle Paul praying for you. But you know, anybody can pray. And to be heard comes not from being an apostle, but by praying in the will of God. Here's the key to getting your prayer answered. Paul, uh, John said, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's the way you get your prayer answered. Problem is, we might pray in God's will and don't realize it. And you think, well, nothing happened. John went on to say, if we know that he hears us, we know that we will get it. Now, that's something that doesn't happen every day. When you know in advance, you've just been heard. God usually doesn't tell you in advance. Take Zechariah and Elizabeth. One day they were greeted by the angel who said to them, your prayer has been heard. And they think, prayer? What prayer? Well, says the angel, you have prayed for a son. You and Elizabeth have prayed for a son. Oh, that prayer. Oh, well, that was 25 years ago. There's got to be some mistake. Uh, I'm an old man, and have you taken a look at my wife lately? She's not able to bear children. Can you imagine anything more dumb than arguing with an angel who says your prayer has been heard? But the thing is, they prayed in the will of God. Any prayer prayed in the will of God will be answered. And you may feel your prayer wasn't answered. Don't worry. Zechariah prayed for a son. God said, yes, he just didn't tell them. You may ask, well, why doesn't God tell us? It'll be nice to know. I think I know. If you got what you wanted, you'd stop praying. You would just say, well, uh, I don't uh, need to pray anymore. Uh, I've got it. Um, you may recall a couple of years ago, the evangelist J. John preached here. J. John used to come and see me at Westminster Chapel, and we'd spend a couple hours. And one day he came in, he said, R.T., I've just got back from India, and I can't wait to tell you what's happened. But he says, nobody in England will believe what I saw. I said, talk to me. He said, I saw people healed. I saw arms outstretched. I saw blind people healed. And they told me that as you're preaching, when the miracles start happening, we know what to do. I said, what do you mean miracles? I didn't come to do that. I don't do that. I just preach the gospel. We know. We know. But there will be miracles. We know what to do. Just keep preaching. Well, J. John said, I never had seen anything like it, but I saw it with my own eyes. And then he said, while I was there, I kept hearing about uh, Sister Teresa, not Mother Teresa, Sister Teresa, who had unusual words of knowledge. And uh, J. John said, well, I'd love to meet her. 
Well, a couple of days later, they brought Sister Teresa and said this, J. John is Sister Teresa. J. John said, well, I've heard a lot about you. Uh, if you get any word for me, would you please share it with me? And he said, she just turned around and walked away. He said, I thought I had offended her. But she came back 45 minutes later with a list of 13 things. It started in number one and said, begin to tell me things that only God knew. Only God knew. I hadn't told anybody. And then she came to number 13 on the list and said, God likes your company. He wants two hours of your time every day. Goodbye. And he never saw her again. He said to me, RT, I'm going to do it. And he started praying two hours a day. Now, at that time, J. John was fairly well known. But it was after that time, he began to see things work in his ministry. He's preached in every cathedral in England. He's preached to members of the royal family. They had revival at a church in Bristol that made the front page of the Times. All goes back. God likes your company. And I ask you, how much do you pray? And you say, well, I just wish I knew that somebody prayed for me. Well, I've just told you. How much do you pray? Children spell love, T-I-M-E. And Jesus gave the parable of the importunate widow, the widow who went to the judge and said, avenge me of my adversary, and uh, he wouldn't do it, and she kept going every day, every day, every day. Avenge me of my adversary, and the judge finally said, okay. And then Jesus said, you be like that in your praying. That means you don't stop. You don't give up. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus, at the right hand of God, doesn't stop. And we live by his praying. By the way, when Jesus prays, would you say he prays believing? Do you think he prays saying, oh, Father, help my unbelief? No. <laughs> it's a perfect faith. This is why the Apostle Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Live by his faith. My faith is weak. Many years ago, after we first moved to London, uh, our son, T.R., I think he was 10 years old, it just happened that in the previous three or four months, he had attended different schools, an English school, two American schools, and now when we received the invitation to be the minister of Westminster Chapel, we're now coming back and he has to go to an English school. And he was not happy. He said, Daddy, you said we were going home. Because those years when we first came over, we all were looking forward to going home. And T.R. couldn't understand it. Now he's got to go back to an English school, which was not a pleasant memory for him when we were at Oxford. And I took him to Montpelier School in Ealing. And we drove up. And T.R. would not get out of the car. I said, T.R., you have to go. You want... I said, look at all those kids on the playground. They're going to be your friends. 
he wouldn't go. A tear rolled down his cheek. And I thought, what on earth am I going to do? I said, T.R., you have to go. And I felt horrible. And it came to me. I said, look at me. I said, Daddy will be praying for you nonstop all day long. Remember, if you get scared, right then, Daddy's praying for you. If a teacher says something is not very pleasant, remember, right then, Daddy's praying for you. All day long, nonstop, I'm going to be praying for you. He opened the car door, walked out, never looked back. I can see him now going on to the school ground. And I kept my word. I prayed for that boy all day long. And now, that's what Jesus does for us. We live by his faith. And if there is one here, and there could be. You say, all these people have people praying for them. I don't have anybody praying for me. Well, you do. Jesus, at the right hand of God, with a perfect faith, and he puts requests to the Father that are according to your need. In fact, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And in the same way, when you don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. So you have somebody praying for you. Now, Paul says, we have not ceased. We have not stopped praying for you. And then he made it clear, he put specific requests. It's not just saying, I prayed for you, but he had specific things. It's just a hint to us that when we talk to God, Proverbs 3, 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him. I would urge you to have a prayer list. Go through the prayer list every day as though you had never prayed it before. Talk to God. He cares more about you than you do yourself. And so be specific. And so what Paul said, from the day we heard about you, in your love in the Spirit, we have not stopped praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. What's the difference? Well, wisdom. That's having the presence of the mind of the Spirit. The ancient Greeks thought that Sophia, the Greek word for wisdom, was only given to the gods, Plato, Aristotle. Ordinary people couldn't have that. But James says, yes, you can. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He wants to give it to you. The presence of the mind of the Spirit, that means wisdom to know what to do next. Knowing the next step forward. Wisdom so that you don't mess up. And you won't have a regret for what you're doing. There's nothing like it. In the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, it's first listed. Wisdom. Wisdom. And by the way, wisdom does not come automatically when you're filled with the Spirit. Did you know that? I can prove it. When they were looking for deacons in the earliest church, they chose Stephen, man, a man who was filled with the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And that was the requirement to be a deacon, to be filled with the Spirit and wisdom. I know a lot of Spirit-filled people that don't have wisdom. 
You would think they would, but some of them don't. And wisdom. This is something Paul is praying for, for these people there in Colossae. Wisdom and understanding. What that means is that you understand the gospel. You begin to understand God's ways. And the the prophet Hosea said, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. This is what Christians need. Knowledge. Understanding. Knowing God's ways. God lamented of ancient Israel. My people have not known my ways. How do you get to know a person's ways? There's only one way. Spend time with them. That's the way you get to know a person. You spend time with them. Question. I don't mean to be unfair, but how much do you pray? Suppose this flashed on the screen, your name and how much time you give to God every day. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. When you stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, and you will, you may have many regrets over how you spent your time, who with, how you spent your money, where spent, but you will have no regrets over time spent alone with God. Nobody ever said on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time in the office. The day will come when you're aware and you think, this is it. This is it. Your time will come. And it will mean everything in the world that you put God first. And so Paul wants them to be filled with the knowledge of his will. God has a will for your life. He's got a plan. What he has already decided is a thousand times greater than what you could come up with. If you could see what he's decided for you, and then you put alongside that what you would like him to decide for you, I can tell you that what he's got in mind for you is a thousand times greater than anything you could come up with on your own. And so Paul uh, realizes These Colossians are not his converts, but he knows they need an apostle. And he steps right in and adopts them and prays for them as though they were his converts. And this is what he's asking. And that they might come, as he put it here, wisdom and understanding and increase in the knowledge of God. Reminds me, years ago, A young lady was converted right out of the world at Westminster Chapel, glorious conversion. And she came to see me in the vestry. And she said, I've got so much to learn, which is a healthy sign when people realize that. And I said, you wait and see. A couple years later, she came in and she said, I've learned so much, I wouldn't have thought it possible. The way to get to know God Spend time with him. Get to know his word. Colin's given you a Bible reading plan. 
that will take you through the Old Testament and the New Testament once a year and the New Testament twice a year. This is the way you get to know God and to know his ways. Finally, the way you become a Christian is by a prayer. Maybe you've never talked to God, but here's a good introduction. Jesus gave a parable of two men that went into the temple, one a Pharisee, one a publican. The publican said, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That was his prayer. The Pharisee said, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. The Pharisee thought that he was a cut of everybody, cut above everybody else. And as long as you think that you've been good enough, nice enough, you'll go to heaven. You're not even close. But the way to be is like this publican who said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's a prayer to pray. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you know that? And if you were to stand before God, you will. And he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven? What exactly would you say? If you're leaning on how good you think you are, you're not close. If you're trusting in the fact that you were baptized, that won't do. If you say, but RT, I've done my best, even that won't do. You say, well, that's not fair. What more can you do? It's because your best is never good enough. In order to get to heaven on your own steam, you've got to be sinless, faultless in thought, word, deed, 60 seconds a minute, 60 minutes an hour, every day of your life. Nobody's like that. But Jesus came to this earth, perfectly fulfilled all the requirements given to you to get in. He did them for you. He did them for you. He kept the law for you. He was even baptized for you. He did everything. He died for you. And what you must do is pray this prayer. And if you don't know for sure that if you were to die right now that you'd go to heaven, Here's what you need to pray. Don't need to say it out loud. Just say it in your heart. God will see you. He will hear you. Lord Jesus, I need you. Tell him. I want you. I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. And as best as I know how, I give you my life.